Welcome everybody to the Creature Cast, the official console creatures podcast. My name is David Petrangelo and I am one of your hosts through this journey of all things video games. This week we have a ton of uh, fun games to talk about, including something special. And uh, Steve's going to tee that up for us. Steve February is here with me as well. How are you, man? I'm doing really well. Well, I'm tired. It's been quite a week and it's only while we're recording this on Wednesday. To me, my my whole week is thrown off. Yesterday felt like Friday, oddly, but uh, no, like you alluded to, we got a really great episode ahead of us. Um, I I just got back from Montreal. I went to Ubisoft Montreal uh, these past couple of days uh, because they were, you know, teeing up and uh, getting ready for the release of Assassin's Creed Mirage. So uh, we do have a whole separate review episode for Assassin's Creed Mirage. If anyone out there is interested in in the game, just brief highlights. I, th- I think it's great. I think it's a real return to form for the franchise. But me and... Um, Friend of the show, but also, you know, writer on uh, console creatures, Court Lalonde. He joined me for an hour-long discussion on the game. He also played it. Uh, but yeah, after 20 hours, beat the game. Walked away really uh, with a lot of positive thoughts on it. So go check that episode out. Um, yeah, then- I'll, I'll say I uh, I wasn't there when you guys recorded because you guys yeah. did that the other day and, uh, and it went up um this week but uh i i edited it together and um was listening as i edited it i was like oh yes you guys you guys get to, to all the points that you know i think people are thinking of like oh sure what is this about the new game is the is the new hero or assassin someone you want to you want to hang out with this whole time is it is it a big game is it a small game is it somewhere in between how's the parkour work how's the combat all that you guys covered it all you talked about the story but spoiler free which is great Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I, I recommend listening to it, even though it's like not top of my list or top of my radar type of game. I was very interested to hear what you guys said, which was really cool. So, um, yeah, on the podcast feed already. So uh, everyone can check that out. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you for for editing that while I was away. I really appreciate that, Dave. It was, uh... Let, let's talk about you being away, though. Let's 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 you also... do that now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it, it yeah. man. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's a really cool opportunity. Uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Uh, invited me down uh, to go to the city and kind of uh, participate in their launch event. They were uh, basically holding a live stream uh, in San Francisco that they were, you know, live streaming within the studio. They decked out like this entire room essentially to look like Baghdad, have like uh, um, just the the overall vibe, like they decked it out to, to feel like in the setting and everything, which was really cool. Uh, for people who, you know, didn't have a code and weren't able to play ahead of time, uh, they had like a whole bunch of PCs up there so that you could actually demo the game uh, as well. And yeah, as for um, me, I, like it, it was kind of odd because like I did play the game, so I didn't get to right. take away as much out of it. You know, they they had like this really great presentation and panel at the top of it talking about uh, the game and Bassem and the new features and everything. I was like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Hey, they do have that. I can confirm that. I yeah, I saw it myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I did that ten hours ago. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just talked about it on a podcast. So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So, so that part. I mean, it was still interesting to hear it come straight from the developers and hear sure. their side and their motivation of wanting to do it and why they wanted to go and bring this series back to like a more focused, honed in um, game. Uh, but. Uh, 
overall, it was largely just a way for industry, like people within the industry to kind of come together and, and right. celebrate this game's launch. So a whole bunch of people from Toronto, the Toronto scene kind of uh, all went out there. There were uh, people from Mobile Syrup, uh, CGM, and just a bunch of people that, you know, we know within our corners of the industry. So it was really cool for us to all kind of get together and celebrate this game. Nice, nice. And uh, you were saying before we hit record too, it's uh, it's an impressive place to to be, impressive place to see. It's like similar to when you went to go and uh, check out the EA studios when you were you went out west and and did that. It's like there's this, it's just always a cool thing, a cool opportunity to just see this these people in their workplace and see them talk about the this project that they're passionate about, right? So that's always a big bonus to uh, to to these trips, right? Absolutely. And it, it really does like for me and, and you, like people who are in the industry kind of getting to take a look behind the curtain and kind of see, okay, this is how they operate. This is even just right. like what an office looks like within a video game studio and seeing like, <laughs> yeah. like quote unquote, the bullpen where there's like a whole bunch of like TV stations and everything. And you see animators, you see people work on audio, video, like all this stuff uh, in like a collaborative setting. It's, it's a really cool opportunity. And then we also got to see uh, some of their, their sound stages where they record like um, sound effects, like footsteps and, and right. weapons clanging together. That, that it's always fascinating to see that. Unfortunately, unlike the EA Vancouver, uh, tour that I got to take, I wasn't able to capture like any photo or video like beyond a oh, certain okay. point. Like as soon as I hit the security check line, they're like, "Put your phones away, or else you're gonna get kicked out." And I was like, "All right, yeah. fine." That's um, nah, okay. It happens exactly. Great, Just yeah. anecdotally, it was cool to see like the company culture yeah. there. Uh, I mean, especially in recent times. I mean, Ubisoft has gone through quite the tumultuous time when it comes sure. to harassment and stuff like that so it is nice to see them kind of take the opportunity to bring us into their home and emphasize hey this is a safe space for people we're trying to actively learn and grow and stuff like that so uh yeah i, I walked away with it being like a really cool experience and um i i guess the last thing we can kind of like tee up Later on in this episode, I got to sit down mm -hmm. with Raphael Wayland, who is the historian for Assassin's Creed Mirage. I mean, Assassin's Creed games are just well known for being loaded with authentic history. They don't just make it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's actually like a lot of research in depth um, documents that go into it and they try to like actually bring like a whole lot of knowledge into their games. And yeah. for instance, Raphael Wayland, he's an actual historian. He's had a full background in teaching and kind of got hired into Ubisoft. He knows the Middle East, especially within like the certain time period that Assassin's Creed Mirage takes place. And this is his bread and butter. So I got to sit down with him for about 15 minutes. If you guys are interested in that, we're going to put it on at the end of the episode. We'll tee it up once uh, uh, again, closer to that. But uh, I just wanted to, point that out for everyone so they can uh, look forward to that because i didn't know what to expect when sitting down with him but he is a <laughs> fascinating guy and i i can't wait nice. for all of you guys to listen to it he's got some great anecdotes but i just wanted to tease that ahead of time i i think that's great i think honestly that's one of the really special and unique things about the assassin's creed franchise regardless of which title it is yeah. that exactly like you said it is they are putting the work in to make sure that this is an accurate representation of things and they are telling the story. You know, obviously there's other things, you know, the animus and all these things are not historically accurate, but everything else right. around it, the location, the time 
period, uh, some characters that you even, you know, interact with and all that. It's all very much. It's not just, hey, I think this is what it was. No, they put the work in. And this guy is a perfect example of of why that that would be the case. And uh, well, I'm going to edit this episode, but I'm also going to listen to this and be very interested. It's one of one of my favorite things about this franchise, honestly, is is that. So it's cool that we're going to be able to listen to that. So, yeah. So. Look forward to that in the next uh, little bit. It's going to be on the end of this episode, so just stay tuned for that. Um, okay, so speaking of, uh, well, not really speaking of, of games that we're playing. Speaking of games that we have been playing, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> um, I, uh, I've i had, um, I, I don't have a review done yet, and I mentioned EA and NHL uh, a little while ago, just a few minutes ago, but um, I've played a first couple of hours few hours of nhl 24 um it's just initial impressions my full review will probably be on console creatures next week uh the week after the canadian thanksgiving weekend um is probably when you'll see it but my initial impressions um the reason why i want to bring this up even though i have only put a few hours in so far is that um based on what you saw and you heard when you went on the trip based on Mm. articles that we've written myself and you and court about the game the the team at EA Sports this time is really trying to push this whole like um they want this game to feel like hockey literally in right. quotes they keep saying more feel like hockey and it's hard to describe exactly what that means but we've talked about it in the past and and written about it and stuff but there is this sort of like sense of realism to hockey that you is really hard to replicate in digital form like this there's something about being on the ice is something about even just watching a game in person where it just never quite feels exactly the same as what it does on the screen. And when you have a controller in your hand and not all games are going for that, they're going for an arcadey feel or whatever. And that's totally fine. And NHL try, tries to like really toe this line of being a little bit arcadey because they want to tailor to that group, but also simulation because you know, it's a, it's a simulation sports game. Like it is for the rest of their franchises like Madden and, and, and FC and all that. Um, and so far, what they've changed, from what I can tell so far, they've made some good changes. They've made some good alterations to the physics engine, which is with uh, a lot of it was based around like the body checking and how that didn't mm-hmm. feel real or didn't feel correct. It kind of felt like almost awkward and there would almost be like a magnet every time you hit someone. That's kind right. of what it has felt like for years. And um and so far, you know, the game is feeling good and those those hits and stuff feel they do feel more authentic. I will say that it's only been a few games. Like I said, it's only been a little bit, but um, so far, so good, I would say for NHL 24. Um, I'm going to try and get some more time in on uh, online to see the changes that they did there. I'm going to try and put myself in the crease and be a goalie because that was something they focused on this year as well, um, which has always been such a weird awkward position to play in these NHL games. Um, And uh, so I'm going to get my hands on all that kind of stuff. So I I need a few extra days and, and I want to make sure that my review is, is well-rounded and sort of gets all those points that the team's been talking about for months at this point. So um, keep your eye out NHL 24. As of when this uh, episode releases, it is out the next day. It will be out um, on uh, October 6th uh, across all platforms. And uh yeah, I mean, so far so good is pretty much all I can say. So no, <laughs> just, no, that's uh, that's awesome. I'm I'm glad that so far things that I noticed or was told by EA Vancouver when we did like that preview episode, yep. you and you and I, um, those are coming through because I know 
especially for EA, it was, yeah, very much feels like hockey and put so much more emphasis into being a goalie, a position that has long been just kind of forgotten about or put put Mm -hmm. to the wayside, uh, I think is more accurate. Um, But then also like the physics stuff. I think the physics engine this time around, even just having previewed it and played like a couple games myself uh, based on like the new, the the review build, um, it, it, it feels very much, okay, this, this is practically what it would be on the ice. Like if you hit something or someone, you're reactive in that way rather than it kind of feel more arcadey. So so that's cool that you're seeing that too. Yeah. And even little things like I even noticed some, you know, they they always sort of add these reactions that players have, for example, some of it is goalies, some of it is players. So like they had it last year, but I noticed a couple other like animations that they added in, which is probably is largely probably based on this, on this physics system um, is that, you know, the goalie will save it and the puck kind of like floats in the air a little bit. It's kind of bouncing around a bit. And without me even doing anything, my player was skating towards that to try and get the rebound. And he just sort of reaches out and, and swats the puck out of the air to try and get that extra chance, that extra rebound and whatever. Sure. And that feels real and authentic. And I don't need to have this like split second reaction to press the right button in order for that to happen. I need to be in the right position and I need to be sort of following up on shots and opportunities like that. And the game knows that that's what I'm going to need to do and want to do in that moment. And it feels real because the reaction felt real. The fact that the puck bounced off the blocker or the pad in that way felt real. So those little things could really go a long way in a more long-term, um, you know, longer play sessions or playing this over the course of several months as opposed to, oh, hey, that happened once in a game that I did, you know? Sure, um, yeah. And as long as it doesn't feel cheap, it doesn't feel like something that people are like gaming the system sort of thing, um, which is why I want to get online because it's a lot, it's very much like, Every time you go online with with these games, or at least in my experience, largely anyway, it's, oh, you have to do certain moves to score this way and rack up 12 goals a game as opposed to playing the game more like how hockey feels, quote unquote, right. how hockey feels. Um, because if you do, then you're probably going to be potentially half a step behind because you're not glitching the game or cheating the system sort of thing. So just cheesing um, it the entire time. No, absolutely. cheesing it the whole way. Yeah, yeah. Which you know what I think is impossible to avoid in sports games. So I think it's going to be the case in some way. I don't know what that is yet. I will try to get my hands on as much as I can and I'll report back uh, to yeah. talk about that when I have the full review. So uh, NHL 24, if it's on your radar, I, all I got to say is keep it on your radar so far. So good. So cool. um Steve, you have also been playing a pretty big uh, game at the moment, not just Mirage. What else you got there? Yeah, so uh, funny enough, you know, a couple of weeks or even a month uh, back, basically came out with two two previews. It was Assassin's Creed Mirage and then Forza Motorsport. And here I am back again <laughs> reviewing <laughs> Assassin's Creed Mirage and Forza Motorsport. Uh, it's very advantageous that we're, we're doing this uh, so closely uh, together together. Uh, to their to the embargo times but um yeah, yeah i put in oh man like probably 15 hours in the review build and then you know another hour and a half to the the preview build that i that i played uh, a few weeks ago right. um, again like i if, if anyone out there has heard my my preview uh impressions and reactions to that is largely largely just going to be echoed here um I, i'm okay. walking away very positively i think if anything, this has given me more of an appreciation of everything Turn 10 has been doing with this game because spending 90 minutes with uh, a deep 
racer sim, you can only get so much out of it. But yeah, yeah. Extending beyond that into like double digit hours, um, this is this is a rock solid game, and I think not only is it a rock solid game just on the basis of it being a racing sim, I think it's a very accessible game. I think Ooh, it can be okay. very tailored to how you want to kind of enjoy a racing sim. Okay. And what I mean by that is that I think every year that a Forza Motorsport comes out or even like a Gran Turismo to a certain extent, for me anyways, I kind of have to build myself up to or like hype myself up to not want to play it, but want to play it as long as I end up doing. Because right. Right. I, it's I an investment. Yeah, it is. And I always love jumping into these games, especially Forza and Horizon and Forza Horizon. They're they're both largely like two sides of the same coin in certain ways. One's an arcade, one's a sim. And I I try to jump into both of them whenever they come out. I I love them. I love both series. But for motorsport, at least, it, it very much is a how long am I actually going to invest myself into this one only because it's not as arcadey and it right. requires you to kind of like sink committed time into it and reach for your own kind of benchmarks versus horizon, which is like, okay, explore the map, hit all the signposts, do all these courses and everything. This one is very much, okay, what, what is, what do I want to take away from this? And with this game, I feel like this is the first time where I find it to be like a cathartic experience racing where I think this is the the first game in the series or at least the first one in a very long time where it's way easier to kind of customize where that difficulty ceiling is. You can raise it as high as you want or lower okay. it to the point where it doesn't impact uh, your enjoyment or anything you take away from it one way or the other. Um, because sometimes I do feel like I have to lower the difficulty in order for it to be quote unquote like fun for me. And yeah, in yeah. doing that, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of like putting a handicap on myself where it's like, okay, now the, the AI cars, they, there aren't as aggressive or as the, the difficulty isn't always there, or I'm using too many like drivers, uh, driving assists and impacting my scores and how much, how many rewards I'm getting here. It really does feel like I can tailor it exactly where I want it, where I can even bump up the drivatars, the AI uh, drivers, and the ones that have like your name over it. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah, like yeah. the shadow cars. You know what I mean? Yeah, the ghost, the ghost cars, and stuff. Exactly yeah. the the ghost cars. I can bump up that difficulty, and it doesn't really affect how much fun I'm having. Okay. If that makes sense. Um. Same with um the the rules. Like nowadays, like doing all the driver assist bumping those up or customizing them however you want. Those don't affect your rewards. Those don't affect how much fun I'm having. It's all very tailored. It all feels very accessible. And right now I feel like that's the perfect way to enjoy this game, especially when you have games like, you know, Assassin's Creed, uh, Spider-Man's on the horizon, Alan Wake's on the horizon. It's like, okay, how much time do I really want to invest in this game? So being right. able to tailor it to how I'm feeling right now in this moment is the best way I'm, I'm going to enjoy it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does, because, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but in any kind of, like, sim sports game, NHL has has similar things like that. Mm -hmm. You can really go in and adjust, you know, how the how the CPU, uh, you know, has stick handling or how aggressive they might be or little, yeah. little things like that. And then there's definitely less things to tweak in a game like that. But 
if you can tailor those things, like you said, if you can pull a couple things up, a couple things down and kind of find that sweet spot. Um, it's not to say, I, I don't think, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, you're not saying like, hey, I need to make this game accessible to me. Otherwise, I'm not going to play it or no. I'm not going to enjoy myself or I'm not going to bother playing it. It's more just like it's a very busy year. It's a very good year. How do I uh, like take best advantage of the time that I have at, at least right now to sink my skill or up my skill or spend the most fun in this limited amount of time <laughs> because we're so limited in our time. It's uh, it's a good problem to have, but, um, but if you can, but with any of these games, any kind of sim game, if you can sort of tailor that experience as much, because again, in comparison, just because I'm currently playing it, but with NHL, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, I haven't gone into a ton of the access accessibility and, and uh, um, bars or any of that kind of stuff just yet. But yep. Sometimes it feels like, oh, you're doing rookie, pro, all-star or whatever the top, you know, difficulty setting is. And there's like, there's almost like, I wish there was something in between level three and four that would be perfect, you know? And it sounds like Forza kind of gives you some of those options at least. Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. Because for me, at least, I like it when the... The drive guitars, for instance, are a little more aggressive, a little harder to beat because it gives me more of a reason to kind of like put my head in the game. But then right. again, for like a great example, I suck at braking. So I love to have like the <laughs> the driving lines on the on the on the road. Right, because they change so color and of, they tell you to slow exactly, down. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that kind of like driving assist feature where it's like oh, it's not penalizing me for wanting to play the way I want to play. I want a difficult game to keep me engaged, but I don't want it so difficult that I'm just not playing the way I want to play, if that if that makes right. sense. And that's exactly yeah. what it kind of gives me is the... Because with so many games, uh, even outside of the, the racing genre, if you just hit easy on, yeah. on, a, yeah. on a... It tailors everything, right? It's like, oh, yes. well what does easy mean to me as, as a player, right? Easy for me could mean something different, different to you. And I think that's really what Forza Motorsport gives you is like that, that ability to customize your game. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. I think, um, I was pulling up, uh, the episode that we, uh, that we, when we talked about your, your preview, um, from earlier in September, uh, yeah, it was actually almost, almost exactly a month ago. Um, and, one of the things we talked about was like a different focus on your car collection and how that has changed. And at the yeah. time, like you said, you only had 90 minutes, so they can tell you so much. You can only have so much experience. How does that feel? And and really, I guess, what does that mean if anyone hasn't listened to that? And how does that feel now with more hours put into the game? Does it still feel like that was the right way to go? Because I was excited to hear about that approach at that time. Absolutely. I think, yeah, that is a through line here where, in previous motorsport games, it was all about building your collection. Oh, we have, you know, 500 cars in the game. Buy them all over the course of, <laughs> you know, getting all your money um, uh, throughout all the different series. Here, it does feel very much like they want you to focus on having maybe the 20 to 30 cars and learning those. So this okay. game really does boil down and kind of focus in on how the how the cars feel like you feel the difference of driving one car versus the other i myself not a car guy don't really care about the cars in the real world i've never had that like brain or mentality and everything but you can actively feel the way that say i don't know 
a Nissan is on the road, the way that the the tires are spinning on the ground versus like a Lamborghini. It's right. not just like being fast or being flashy. It's the way that, you know, you can take a turn. It's the way that you brake. It's the way that you can pass another car. Like it's all these different little things that you can actively feel while playing the game. Um, yeah. it's, it's very advanced, but it's also very streamlined in that way. Yeah, that's that's cool because... Yes, there's a drastic difference from the average vehicle that you see on the road every day to something that is a sports car or something that is, you know, an exotic vehicle or something like, like you said, Lamborghini, McLaren, those types of cars, they're all in games like this. Um, And yeah, it's not just about speed or just how slick the car looks or how low you are to the ground. Right. Um, And and it's and that's a tricky thing to translate. Right. Because if you're just using a joystick and a couple of triggers, for example, um, how does that feel from when you if you were to actually on on a track or actually doing like a race and stuff to translate that over is uh is pretty difficult but so far you know from what you've played and you you can definitely feel the difference and it feels like okay now does it make sense to you to focus on like these let's say 20 to 30 cars or even though you're not a quote-unquote car person are you still more (laughs) more driven yeah to yeah it was it was an accident but i did it uh it's always funnier too when you point it out uh exactly repeatedly, so, so the yeah. audience knows and yeah they just can in laugh case, with you. <laughs> so they can laugh with me yeah because clearly it's such a good joke it's it's a better joke when you explain it right exactly. um <laughs> it's, the, it's a sign of a good joke um are you are you more driven to uh uh to focus on these vehicles that you have these let's say quote-unquote handful or do you feel like well actually i'm gonna go for this like you know, 500 grand car as opposed to the whatever middle line thing. Not really. I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not invested in like going for the most flashy or anything. It's kind of just whatever vehicle speaks to me in the moment, depending on the yeah. series as well that I'm kind of trying to complete. Um, right. I, I think the, the best way to kind of put it is that, yeah, you're given so much time with a specific car that you really do start to understand how it functions, how it feels on the road. And from there, you can kind of start thinking about it in a way that will help you chip away time on your laps. You're given so much time there that it's like, okay, now I know how to like take this turn, how to adapt to say when it's raining or when it's foggy out because they have like the dynamic weather that comes in uh, for each race or the time of day that all matters here. It's not just like uh, a buzzword, you know, Oh, we have dynamic weather. (laughs) Okay. Um, but no, cool. it really matters. Like, what <laughs> what time of day is it? How is the sun reflecting off the road into the windshield? Is it impacting my vision? Is the rain on, on the ground affecting the way the tires spin? Understanding your car and understanding the tracks go a really long way. And I think that if the game again once once again continue to be like you know, catch them all, buy them all. It it just doesn't work that way because then you're spending, you know, one or two races piling up a whole bunch of money and then be like, I'm on to the next car because it's a -a collect-a-thon rather than being a simulation. Right, right. And and does it do, so those little like details, they're they're very specific, they're very detailed, they're very, um, you know, small things you have to look out for, let's say, like like weather. um, Yes, it's dynamic and yes, it, it affects. Does the game do a good job of explaining to you what you need to keep an eye out for and why, or is it just like, Oh, it's raining. I need to like not slip as much. (laughs) 
Yeah, I yeah, I don't think that they try to like gamify it as as much okay. as that where it is okay. Well, this is a wet, uh, this is a rain level. Be sure to do X, yeah, Y, yeah. Z. You know, it is kind of just like learn on the fly, learn your car, or yeah, understand your car and how it works, and um, from there just kind of adapt. I, I think that's the best way of do doing it personally is just kind of okay. adapting to your situation and your surroundings. Uh, it's fun that way too. I think it keeps it again more dynamic where every race is kind of a little different depending on yeah. the circumstances right um it's so funny because when you close your eyes and you think of what a racing game is most likely it takes place during the day when it's sunny out and yeah, yeah. to be honest <laughs> that's when the races are the most boring in my opinion not to say that the game's boring but it's it's when it's the most samey it's it's when the game kind of turns into like when the weather is is a little a little damp like you see the the raindrops hitting your windshield and it's a little foggy out and the sun's just setting that's when it feels more way more different in so many ways yeah. and it almost makes you think differently as well it's like okay i gotta approach this race a little more differently than i would any other forza motorsport in the past that's awesome that sounds so yeah. cool and and it's you know it's very much sounds like um yeah they want you to learn as you go you know, it's part of the experience to learn as you go and, and sort of what the cars and environments are and tracks and things like that. Um, now, finally, I want to ask uh, yeah. what you're playing it on or have been playing it on. And uh, does it still look as damn good as you said it did a few weeks ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It's it's gorgeous. Um, Xbox Series X, I'm playing it with the uh, the 60 frames a second with the ra okay. the the variable ray tracing on. I think personally, that's the best way of doing it. If you have a display that can kind of support that, um, yeah, just because the way that the weather and the time of day interact with the cars, it's it's next level. I mean, Forza games have always kind of been Microsoft's opportunity to be like, we just moved our benchmark. Every other game has to now compete with this as far as like. <laughs> graphics processing everything the load times are amazing i think this is one of the best performing games that has ever existed on xbox to be nice perfectly honest um i'm i'm very impressed with how this game performs as far as just a video game i can only imagine how it is on pc i would love to, to hear people who uh end up playing uh, playing this when it releases i want to hear their stories about it because i i, I think that's gonna just sing on on uh, pc um yeah, I'm 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 really having a lot of fun with it. Um the the one thing that I do want to say and people who might not be into Sims, I think one of the biggest barriers at least for me uh early on when I started playing Forza games were was like the tuning aspects and getting into like the garage yeah. part of it. Yep, yep. I I think the game does such a good job of once again kind of boiling it down and kind of getting rid of the the busy work of going in and oh what brake pads do i want on my car what springs do i want to put on sure you can do that sure you can be like a nuthead with it if you if that's your jam by all means i mean these games are made for you in, in that way yeah but yeah, for yeah. me i love just being able to go in got my car hit auto upgrade and i'm back out like just spend okay. the money. I trust the game. <laughs> you tell me because like, again, I'm not interested in that aspect. I'm more interested in the cathartic, get on the road, beat my friends. I see their little drive, drive there. I'm like, Oh, there's Bobby. There's Dave. I'm going to beat them to the finish line. Uh, even though that, you know, it's, it's, it's just all AI driven, but I, I love that competitive nature. Um, and then the other thing is just boiling down and streamlining the the modes that this game offers it's like okay here's okay. your career mode here's multiplayer here's free play 
Uh, here's your tutorials. You don't need anything else other than that. I think that's a really nice uh, quality of life, just kind of condensing and making sure it's like quality, not quantity. And I think out of everything, this is my favorite Forza Motorsport since probably five. So we're talking there like four years maybe I, I can't even remember when five came out but the last couple i think got off the rails of like let's go big let's go um really flashy and making sure that there's like microtransactions and additional things in the uh the garage let's dress up your your drive guitar in like a tuxedo or like these all these extra things that don't really need to be there leave that for forza horizon which does feel very much like an arcade game Let's yeah. go back to basics. Let's make sure this is a well-performing game and just give you exactly what you want out of a of racing sim. And I'm I'm happy with it. I'm going to keep chipping away at this game and continue like, you know, completing uh, one series after another every so often. Yeah. Jumping into multiplayer with friends is going to be fun when the game fully yeah. releases. I'm looking forward to that. Seeing you know, even if you don't play together. All the racing games have always, at least for a very long time now, or at least a decent amount of time, done a good job of like, hey, you're at this race. Do you want to, you know, see what your friends' times were? Try to beat them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love that stuff. Yeah. I love that. It's like a passive competitiveness where then, you yeah, know, yeah, you, yeah. you take the screenshot on your Xbox, you send it in like a, a group DM or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I, Ex I expect you. at least a couple of those, Steve. They're, love they're that. And expect it right back. I, All I right. love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to leave yeah. you in the, in the digital dust. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I'll probably be in we'll the see. wall. We'll see. Yeah, I don't we'll know. we'll see. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, okay, cool. Looking forward to that. Nice. Um, and then something completely different that I've been playing. Um, also, I can't wait to hear about this. I, I'm, yeah, I've also, been waiting. Yeah. Also on Game Pass, um, available on Steam as well. But um, this is a game called Cocoon, which I believe was shown for the first time earlier this year, or it was at the Game Awards last year. I don't recall exactly the first time it was shown, but it was just like a trailer. Um, Cocoon is made by, I want to make sure I got the name correctly, um, the lead gameplay designer from Limbo and Inside, uh, Jep Carlson. Jep Carlson. Um this game came out uh, on September 29th, so it's been out for a few days. I was in this mode of like, okay, I'm playing some games that are a little bit more sim-like and longer and more serious. I want something, you know, I really like these sort of quieter indie games that, that do something different, look different, do something different. And I realized, oh yeah, this thing was on my radar when I saw that trailer. I got, I got to try this thing. And then I you know, looked it up and realized, oh, the same guy that did those two games. Hell yeah, I'm all for it. I love those games. Um, so Cocoon is a little bit difficult to explain because <laughs> not in a bad way. It's just that it's doing so many things that when you're actively doing it in the game, it doesn't feel like a lot. But when you explain it, it sounds like how could you wait? That's how brain bending this game really is. Okay. I'll go through explaining some of it and you'll maybe you'll see what I mean. But yeah. essentially, so the setting of the game is the setup is very minimal at the beginning. You are this little bug. Maybe I don't know, you're like a fly or a ladybug looking character. It's isometric view. Um but everything is like a mix of organic and and mechanic looking. So you're a bug, but you're also sort of a robot because your wings and things like that are all like mechanical. The whole world is sort of a mix of those things. It's really hard, again, really hard to explain, but very unique, which is great. 
That's cool. And essentially the the gameplay is is a puzzle game with no text, just really great music, cool setting, great lighting, great art design, all of that stuff, which you've seen from games like Limbo and Inside before. Those are a little bit more minimalistic, I would say. Very Obviously, Limbo is almost all black and white and yeah. Inside is black, white, and red, essentially. That's pretty much <laughs> almost everything that you get in those games. Very red at some points. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and from I think Limbo too from some points. <laughs> um, yeah. or or does he not does he not bleed when he dies? I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, I don't know. But uh but those those games are much more minimalistic. This one is very intricate in its design, the way it looks and in the gameplay. It is not at it's simple, but it's not as simple as those games. So it's simple in a way because all you do is use your joystick and the A button. That's it. Hmm. Okay. There are no other buttons in this game. It is just that. And they break that very simple control scheme and expand it into this very complicated type of game. So essentially what you do is you arrive in this desert type area at the beginning, for example, and there's this little orb that is in front of you eventually that you pick up and you can put on these little stations, let's say. And those stations could activate a bridge. They could open a door. um, They can activate this other little robot friend that you get eventually um, that adds onto the puzzles and stuff. But really what it actually is, is another world. These little orbs are actually worlds that you can dive in and out of in order to solve puzzles. So in some areas where you go and you put these orbs on stations, you Mm -hmm. hold on to the A button. Your little guy sort of shakes his wings a little bit, and then he dives into that orb, and now you're in a whole different level. But you can also dive out of that orb to go back to the level you were just on, to grab an item, to go back to the level you were just in, and then sort of stack the puzzle on each other. Okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's it's sort of like going in and out of doors, but you can carry this orb and this world on your back. Right. So when you get, let's say, a couple hours into this game, it's not very long. It's about five, six hours, depending on how quickly you go through. Love that. Yeah, four to six hours, I would say, depending on how quickly you go through some of the puzzles. Um, It's definitely one of those puzzle games, too, where you're just like, oh, of course, that's what it was. (laughs) Like, oh, okay. I'm standing around and I'm walking in circles for 10 minutes and I go and I, and I do something. I'm like, well, how did I not? Th- of course yeah. that is, it's simple, but it is also very clever at the same time. So a couple hours in, you're not just dealing with two worlds or two orbs. You're dealing with several. So what happens is you'll get to certain stages where you need to use something that is only available in the purple orb or purple sure. world. And you need to do that in the current orange world that you're in and you have to place those in different areas of each individual world dive in and out of them in order to figure out how to sort of stack these worlds on top of each other in order to access different points in each world to open up the current world that you're that you're in right now so yeah I, I don't I don't even know if that makes any sense whatsoever. It does, but but I have maybe just a couple questions that I could please flesh it out please. a little more. So, Steve, h- help me. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll help you uh, so you don't uh, venture off into madness right now. I'm, yeah, I'm curious, yeah. like so so do these orbs like reflect quote unquote the real world that you're trying no, that every, you're exploring? So they're no, everything all their is, own unique setting. 
Yes, they're all okay. their own unique setting. One of them's like a desert. The other one is, it's like purple world, but it has like sort of like dark mechanical stuff going on. Yeah. I think it's the green one is very organic. So you're sort of like in like a marsh looking area. Okay. Um, and the way you unlock, quote unquote, unlock these orbs or these worlds is at a certain point, you will reach like a boss fight in each one mm. so that you can then carry this orb with you and take it onto your next part of your adventure, next part of the puzzle and stuff. So gotcha. these little boss fights are very, very cool. They look awesome. Again, you're fighting a boss, but they find a way to make your movement and how you interact and and defeat these bosses and damage them by just using the joystick and the A button. But I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not pressing A to jump and then A again to go and you know, head dive and do damage. Like you're interacting with the world in order for it to damage the boss that is trying to stop you from taking this orb and moving on to the next world, essentially. That's really cool because I love games that are able to kind of pull back on, say, combat, for instance, in, in, in by way of like a boss battle. And kind yeah. of make you rethink of where it is. Maybe not a passive boss battle, but it is like, oh, we're just going to in- distill it to you're just using a thumbstick and the A button. And you're not directly, you know, pulling out a club and like bashing it or something like that. No, or, exactly. Like you said you're jumping not- up in the air and like doing a combo flip onto it or something. Yeah, like there's one in particular. I think it's like the second one. It's not a huge spoiler or anything, but essentially the way it works is um, you're on this like, there's like, I think six different circles or hexagons or something that are all attached and then there's one in the middle and the boss is does some stuff that you've seen before it'll come over to you slam on the ground and one of those will be dropped down and now you can't walk on that one but there's this like little i don't know if it's like a bug or a plant or something that mirrors your movement when you're going around the circle so when you press a you you basically transport yourself and switch spots with that plant and you're basically moving around oh. to avoid by just pressing A. Move around, press, and then... But every time you... Every once in a while, that little plant or that little thing will have this little, like, indicator on it or, like, another... Something that's growing out of it that when you press A to zoom over to it, it it pops something up in the air and damages the boss. And that's gotcha. how you damage the boss. And you do that over the course of, like, you know, a f- five minutes or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And there's three to four stages in each boss where they do something different every time and you sort of have to find your way moving moving around and maneuver around what they're doing. Um, it's just a really, really creative and super uh, beautiful game. Like I, I just, it's I, I am talking in circles and probably not making a whole lot of sense the way I'm explaining it, but once you play that first hour, I would say, is pretty much all it's going to take, maybe in 40 minutes or something like that. Um, you'll, you'll kind of get what the game is doing and then it just keeps layering complexity, but not layering it in a way where it seems overwhelming. Um, because you can carry like an orb within an orb on your back, carry it to a different area. And now you have four different worlds or orbs within just two. If that makes any sense. So you can dive within a world and then dive again within a world and then dive back out of those, dive back into a fourth one, dive out back into the, it's just, it's so creative the way they do it. It's so interesting. And one of the best things about it is yes, the sound design is very cool and very, very uh, interesting and everything, Mm -hmm. but it does these small little cues with the music. One, the music is great, but two, if you start 
picking up an item or one of the orbs, which are pretty much the only things you can interact with for the most part, you hear the music swell a little bit. So it's sort of telling you that you're going in the right direction. Oh, neat. Because, and, okay. I, and I noticed that because when I'm struggling with a puzzle that's in it, I will walk away from it thinking, oh, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do. And the music kind of fades a little bit more. And then I'll go back to that area <laughs> it and it like, picks up a bit. Don't do that. Go, go back, go back. And I think that, you know, some might say like, oh, well, that's that's not, you know, that's sort of cheating. It's kind of telling you what to do. But, but it's only really guiding you ever so slightly because that's just one layer of the potentially four steps that you need to do to solve that one single part of that puzzle. Right. And you follow the music and you have a general idea of what you need to do. And it is so rewarding because the second you solve that little even step of that puzzle, like I said before, you go, oh, yes. And I'm excited to see what the next area has for me because I want to see what other kind of puzzle they're going to do with what I have available to me at this moment. And Cocoon is just so freaking good i think if you like limbo and inside you're definitely going to enjoy this game but i think it is far superior to those games i think it is really yes oh man see i think it is just because it's doing more but still keeping things simple Mm -hmm. and 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 i honestly and i think that it is a very creative game with the worlds that it's giving you and how you're interacting with them and everything um it's something I've never seen before or heard before. Like it is one of those types of games. This is going to be something that I'm, I think I'm pretty close to the end. Um, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this at the end of the year. I have a, I have a distinct feeling I'm going to. Oh, that's that amazing. Yeah, oh, that's, that, that makes me so happy to hear. Um, I'm a huge fan of Limbo and Inside, two of my favorite indie games of all time. So when I heard, again, the lead developer, uh, went over and started work on this game i was like okay i gotta keep this on my radar unfortunately i haven't gotten time to, to check it out just yet but hearing that it's five hours long definitely a game i'm going to play by the end of the year so we can have that discussion you know yeah 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 give me the year contenders and stuff like that but i love when a creator or a group of creators can come and do something unique and new but also keep it um textured in the way that you're talking about the music kind of incorporated into the gameplay and minimalistic gameplay but wrapping it around very complex puzzles in, in yeah. a way and everything. Yeah. Everything you're talking about this game just uh, makes me want to go out and play it. Uh, yeah. This is super cool. And again, it's a game pass game. So it is, it is a game pass game. It, I would say be... that uh, for just like the $20 that it costs on steam too, if you don't have game pass, it is oh, yeah. to me, it's a no brainer. If anything I said sounds interesting, even if I'm not making sense, but you're still interested in what I was saying <laughs> and you've enjoyed any kind of like puzzle game like this sort of isometric, simple controls kind of gets you to think a little bit but it's not going to take it 25 hours to play this is something that if, if it's not now put it on your radar put it on your wish list whatever it is it is 100 worth your time um that is cocoon and uh yeah on game pass and steam right now um uh it is also on switch so there you go um so that Perfect. it's it's a great game. And honestly, it's it's beautiful. So it will look great on whatever platform you're playing it on. So yeah. uh, Especially highly recommend with a that. unique art design like you're talking yes. about. You know. Yeah, for sure. The, the colors pop quite a bit. And every world, every orb that you go in and out of is distinct. So that's another thing, too, is like because each one is distinct. And even though things do get complex and more complex as you go on, you never think like, oh, wait, which one am I in again? 
you know instantly. And right. each orb has its own distinct personality, I would say, and uh, and enemies and all those types of things. And it just layers and layers and gets more and more interesting as you go. So, um, and it's all it was it's always been surprising me the whole way through. So it's it's great. Um, Cocoon, highly recommend it. I haven't finished it yet. I'm sure it'll stick the landing because everything so far, I'm just going to assume that's going to stick the landing. But as of right now, it's, it's probably safe getting bet. close. Yeah. 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 Safe bet. Exactly. So, okay. Enough about us, Steve. Um, we have, uh, we have a special interview. Why don't we tee it up one more time? So, uh, everybody can, can, uh, get tuned in for that. Absolutely. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, Assassin's Creed Mirage is already out. Um, yeah, like I said at the top of the show, I went to Ubisoft Montreal, talked to Raphael Wayland. Uh, he provided, you know, a lot of contextual uh, anecdotes into what goes on, what what they do to really bring in factual information and history into each of these games, base it on as much uh, fact uh, as they can, keep it authentic, keep it accurate, um, but also ways that they can gamify it for you, the player, and make it fun to actually. Right learn something while you're playing these games um and then also yeah he he just kind of uh i I won't spoil it but there's there's a few little interesting like funny anecdotes that he's uh he he told me about uh what he's put into the game and it's it's really interesting (laughs) um yeah check it out uh it's about a 10 minute interview and then i guess uh, we'll come back and sign off yep exactly all right let's uh let's hear it steve well, I, I, lo- I loved it. First off, I loved your panel. It was, it was super insightful uh, hearing about your side of the story coming into, uh, you know, the development side, but also you using your historian side as well to uh, come into this. So my first question is, how challenging is it to adopt history, but make it digestible to players who might not have like the most, the biggest attention span, so to speak? Uh, well, I would say I treated it as I treated uh, giving classes at the university yeah. or as I give. Uh, so I've had a lot of experience with non-historians uh, wanting to learn. So I take it that the people are interested, but that you must keep them interested. So don't go into too much details and don't go into maybe this, but actually maybe that. This is something that's useful for people that are really interested and want to learn more. And I hope that the game can be like a a starting point and and they can go afterwards. But yeah, you need to keep in mind what is the public that you're addressing um, and to try to find information that might pick their interest and bring them in. So, A, you're seeing one building there where you're seeing people eating. Uh, you might ask yourself, well, what are they eating? And how do they eat at that time? And what is that build, build, big building? So you answer that. You don't go too much into details. But of course, this is starting point. They can go much further if they want. But try to keep it entertaining, fun. Uh, it's a video game, so it has to be fun at first. I assume uh, coming off of that, that's how the like the, the historical collectibles and stuff like that come into play because then it provides like added context, I guess, to the yes. player. It makes it, it gamifies the history. So yes, speak. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there is the idea. The idea. Uh, so yeah, this is a big subject: gamification of uh, uh, of learning in general in history. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, so we. We wanted to uh, give to the players a way to go further than simply watching things and having questions and no one to answer them. Mm -hmm. Because we have the answers, because we've put everything in the game for a reason. 
So we did the research. It was afterward, after that, a, a, a question of, okay, how do we give that back to the players so that they can learn too? Uh, so yeah, uh, we started with uh, more than 125 entries in this encyclopedia or codex. It ended up being 66. And uh, so some of the entries were mixed together. Uh, some were actually not that interesting. So we, we kept to 66. We had to have ways to represent the concept that we wanted to describe. We, we needed to have it in the game so that it could be understandable. And we wanted to have artifacts from museums. Sure. So we needed to have the right partner, uh, the right partnering museums to be able to, okay, I want this artifact. It represents really well what I want, but will this museum, uh, can we work with them or not? Uh, and, uh, and yeah, so in the end, we have 66 entries. They cover very different subjects, uh, from table manners to pillars of Islam to the Silk Road to, yeah, many, many different things. And uh, I hope they will uh, help people to learn more about this game. So it's not simply a, so it has to be a fun experience, right. but I hope it's also a, an, a learning one. Of course. Um, I'm, I'm really curious, how accessible was it to kind of go back and find historical documents, references hmm. for this specific time period? Were you shocked by how difficult or how no. easy it was? Uh, actually, so... Uh, hmm. Because I am a historian, I'm used to research uh, ancient times and the Middle East, uh, and uh, in the Middle East, yes, but the, the ancient times and the Middle Ages, I am used to working with a very little amount of sources. <laughs> so Baghdad in the, in the 9th century is actually a place that has plenty of sources on for that time period. Okay. Uh, it is a much better known city uh, than... Uh, pretty much everywhere else at the time maybe some chinese cities have more uh, but it we know quite a bit about it we know way less about it that we could know about boston 100 years ago but it's always relative in in terms of uh, historical sources so so yeah actually we had plenty um we had sources that could be texts uh that can be some most would speak about the elites and the artists and the intellectuals um, but we also had some about everyday life and less fortunate people. We had plenty of artifacts, uh, some small, some big. We did not have any buildings from Baghdad because the city was destroyed. But we have plenty of buildings from similar time, time period, pretty much the same region. Right. Uh, so we could, it's not one for one, but we could make educated guesses from them. Yeah. So yeah, we had plenty, but we had to use all of that in order to approximate what was the life in the city. When you make Assassin's Creed, you recreate an entire city and the hundreds of thousands of people who live in it, uh, they have plenty of different activities. So you need everything you can put your hands on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, we're, we're sitting right in front of uh, Bassman. One of the things that struck me the most was his outfits. Yeah. Can you tell me about like what the process was to take a look at like every individual piece that he oh. wears and make sure it's historically accurate? <laughs> so actually, it's not the right character to ask me that. Okay. Because, there, because, because he's the main character. Yeah. 
uh, uh, e as stuff that are close to the hidden ones. Uh, sure. So, for instance, if you ask me, hey, the hidden blades, where, in which kind of historical source did you find that? In none. Right, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> e is not the right character yeah. to ask this, but there are plenty of what he has in the colors, in the style. Sure. In um, uh, so we don't really sit well here, but yeah, we we sit a bit. Uh, I guess you will have it on the camera. Absolutely. Yeah. So these small things. Yes. Uh, these uh, are uh, still used. They have different names depending on where you are in the Middle East. Uh, but these uh, still exist, and they've existed for a long, long time. Yeah. And we've added these. Uh, so the basic inspiration was the the uh, the outfit uh, of the, uh, the 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 first uh, assassin creed game uh, the first assassins mm -hmm. but we've added some elements because it was a few centuries before and this is one of the examples the colors we took from uh, manuscripts from the time illustrated manuscripts yeah. and we put the colors on them so that they would fit what was worn at the time but uh, yeah, it's not one for one. The boots, all of that, the fact of wearing always uh, uh, hood. hood. Yeah. This is Assassin's Creed lore. This is not really true. Yeah. Dating back to 2007 when the first Assassin's Creed. Yes. Came and even then, I mean, they, they, they created things starting from history, but then adding some of their own mystique on it. Right. So it is true that many people would wear hood. In, uh, in environments where you have a lot of wind and a lot of uh, sand. Uh, it, it is true, yeah. but they don't wear it here uh, so that it obscures their eyes and they can attack people and kill them with uh, even blades, for instance. So there is real, and then we ex we go into the, right. uh, the lore. Yeah, and it's so funny, uh, transitioning off, you even touched it yourself, Assassin's Creed 1, like the origins of like this whole franchise and everything. Alamut is such an iconic location for yeah. so many players. How is it for you to step in, already know that, you know, this place existed as, as far as the lore and everything, but come into it from a historical uh, point of view and say, okay, what references can we draw to that? Were, were there any in particular? Yes, it still exists, and I visited this place. Really? So, yes, the castle is pretty much done for. It was destroyed by uh, the, 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 the Mongols, oh, uh, as is represented in uh, another of yeah. our games. Uh, so now it is a uh, 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 ruins, mm -hmm. uh, really uh, hard to access. Uh, it's a quite a hike, uh, hike to okay. go up there. Uh, but I've been there. Uh, it is a beautiful place in the mountain and all of that. And we have information about it from later in history. So from the time of the real assassin, uh, assassins, mm -hmm. so 12th. 13th century, uh, and we took inspiration from the real ruins that we have now, yeah. uh, and the informations that we have from later in history. Okay. So that's one of when I say that we approximate or make educated guesses. These ruins did not exist at the time of 861 sure. Baghdad, but we like uh, put them there from something that really existed. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and I'm just curious, you've been doing this some, quite some time. Um, like you said, this, is, this kind of era is your bread and butter and everything. Were there any interesting stories or his, bits of history that kind of surprised you when you were doing your research? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I will give you uh, one example. Yeah. Uh, so one morning, uh, there were always quirky questions, you know, and many, I, I had no idea what the answer was before I started researching. And one morning, uh, there is a part of the city in which we have a, a market, a soap market. Okay. 
And one morning they asked me, hey, we would like to have a flavor line. So something that helps you feel like the city is real. Uh, we, want, uh, we want a story, an anecdote about soap. Would you have any? Well, I don't, but I will at some point. So let me some time to look into sources. I read some place, uh, I found something about how uh, there were people who made cakes that looked like soap. Uh, they call it sabonia, so it's close to uh, soap, co comes from Arabic. Uh, and so the, the cake looks like a soap. Okay. And some people like the, some people make jokes to travelers and foreigners uh, that they would give them the cake. They would give them the soap and tell them that it's the cake, yeah. and they would take a bite yeah. and it would be soap, and it, they would find it hilarious. So we have something around that, around this anecdote in the game, and this is something completely quirky I learned one morning in, yeah. in front of my computer. A historical prank. Yes, yeah. <laughs> there are many pranks like that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, that, that that was the last question I had. And just before we wrap up, I just wanted to throw to you: Was there anything that we haven't really talked about that you are very excited about for players to experience in the game? I have talked about the uh, the codex. I think. Yeah. So I would say this is for me one of the big big of things. Uh, I can tell you that uh, my favorite part of the city is the bazaar because it's so colorful, so full of life, so full of different languages and people from different origins, so full of goods. Yeah. Uh, and when I, uh, the first time I was in the bazaar, and still today, I feel a bit as if I was back in the Middle East. Uh, and this, for me, is the, the best you can do in a game when you give a feeling. Uh, Absolutely. So, and if it gives you that feeling. Yeah, I guess. Turn. I guess. Right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I can tell you that. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really thank appreciate you too. it. Thank you, too. All right, Steve. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing that. Thanks for adding it on to the show and stuff like that. That was uh, that's awesome for everyone to hear. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. Um, but uh, Mirage is out there for everybody to enjoy uh, as well. Um, and we're gonna have more big hitters continuing on on uh, on the Creature Cast and ConsoleCreatures.com. So um, October is not going to let up at all. It's a good problem to have. Twenty twenty three is just crazy for games in all the best ways um while that's happening steve where can everybody keep up with your good stuff absolutely yeah there there's gonna be a lot coming on uh coming on for the show and everything so yeah keep keep uh keep it tuned in for everything uh on all your podcast feeds for more for more episodes here but for me you can find me across the internet across all social media platforms at svigvari Amazing. Uh, I am at Dave Petro across the board as well, but of course, consolecreatures.com uh, and across social media as well as where you can see our reviews, including um, what Steve's been playing, what I've been playing. We're going to have uh, look out for my NHL one if you're listening to this in the week leading up to Canadian Thanksgiving, which is October 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, somewhere around there. I don't even know what day it is right now. Um, <laughs> I'll, have mine. <laughs> I'll have mine in the next several days of a full review on NHL 24, for example. And uh, I will reiterate this again, people. Play Cocoon. Play Cocoon if you have a few hours to yourself. It's pretty freaking awesome. Okay. Anyways, that's enough about us, everybody. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye.